Let's Connect podcast series is brought to you by Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome. I'm Karen Cole, Editor-in-Chief of Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Debbie Craig, People Strategist and Catalyst. Debbie is the founder and MD at Catalyst Consulting South Africa, Catalyst Global and World Alive, and NCSC, NeuroChange Solutions. Her mission in life is to create high-performing organizations from the inside out. Joining her is Marissa Valheim, a holistic entrepreneur at Amazing Grace Training and Retreat Center of Awareness. Now, Marissa has dedicated her life to the service of others. Most notable is her work with a hospice organization, and presently she pursues her passion for providing individuals with the tools and knowledge needed to develop a strong sense of self in an ever-changing world. And joining as the, the thorn amongst the roses is Brad Shawkind. He's a behavioral specialist and the CEO of Still Human, and Brad has focused his career on helping businesses remain relevant and sustainable through awesome employee experience, leadership, culture, and innovation. So welcome, team. Fantastic. So just getting right into our discussion um, and really focusing you know, on, on when resilience is tapped out. So I'm not sure about how the rest of you are feeling, but I must admit, I thought I would have a lot more energy and enthusiasm at this point in the year. And I seem to be picking up the sentiment in most of the discussions I'm having with others. For me, it seems to be that the world has kind of restarted, but we're struggling to move beyond those starting blocks. It's almost as if we have moved from experiencing this collective trauma to now going through this collective burnout. And I think if we think back, you know, to the beginning of the pandemic, we realized that we were not maybe as resilient as we thought we were. And this was at, at all levels, you know, individual, organization, country, global level. It became evident in those first few weeks during which, you know, we really struggled to adapt to, to kind of jump into this um, online work and, you know, how do we get set up? How do we do this? How do we collaborate, et cetera? And that was kind of followed by, you know, a sudden self-reported spike in productivity. So people were kind of giving their all trying to adapt to this new environment, working some crazy hours, and we almost seem to forget our boundaries at that point. We were struggling to manage our workloads, um, and in some cases, or many cases, those of our teammates, you know, in case of illnesses or resignations or redundancies during that period. And then, of course, in addition to all of this, there were these increase in demands from a, from a home perspective. So, you know, like many, I was one of those having to homeschool three children in addition to coping with my normal day-to-day -day workload. And this was all happening against an intense backdrop of fear and uncertainty. You know, our sense of safety was really put to the test during this period. And in a crisis like this, when we should be pulling together and, and you know, we're really seeking out that support, the nature of the pandemic, of course, instead demanded isolation, you know, effectively cutting off us off from the social support that we actually desperately needed at that stage. But now, as we're moving ahead, it seems to me that, you know, whatever resilience we did have, our tanks are tapped out. Are you guys picking up the same thing or are you finding something different? If I may jump in here, Karen, thank you for this sure. opportunity. 
I actually must say I have noticed the opposite. Yes, initially the shock and the trauma of this new experience was ahead of us. And I think everyone had to find their own groove. But I am actually in awe of what isolation and working differently has provided many folks. The opportunity to to get to know self a bit better. And those who have gone through deaths and many losses, some work losses, some financial losses, being isolated, although emotionally it was very draining, I must say I am in awe of the human spirit and its resilience and the creativity that has come forward. And I've noticed that those who who have embraced this change has managed to become creative and tap into a source externally and internally that has helped them to to find that coping, to find that survival. So for me, um, the resilience... For me, resilience is unlimited and unconditional, actually. Um, I don't think that resilience is something that can go away. I think it's always internally. I think we move away. We become separated, fragmented and out of balance. But whenever chaos or trauma or change comes, I think that that resilience is there waiting to support us. So I rather notice other things happening. But let me give the others a chance to hear what their feelings are. Um, and Marissa, yeah, thanks for that. And I, I absolutely acknowledge and recognize the amazing resilience as human beings that we have. I think my experience working with individuals, coaching them and working with teams and doing some actual personal mastery and resilience assessments on people, I've noticed a huge shift to lower general emotional resilience and feeling that people have reserves. And I think as much as we have got an ability to tap in over time, if we keep on moving into the fight and flight response and our body moves into that sort of chronic stress response, both from physical change that is happening around us, emotional stresses around potential uncertainty with jobs, overwhelm with trying to balance work life and family um, and just questioning our own place in the world during this crazy time we can end up turning on the stress response just by thought alone and all those lovely adrenal chemicals that come into our bodies generally over time start reducing our ability to rest and renew and heal and regenerate at a physical level. So I think there's a whole lot of physical resilience that have come down. People are getting ill with other diseases more quicker and taking longer to heal. And I think we need to recognize that a lot of those emotions that are playing out even at a subconscious level don't always have the space to be dealt with. And that's causing a slow degradation of our resilience as a whole. So I think it's very important to to define resilience because I've seen the word bandied about in many different conversations and 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 at its at its for me, simplicity, its simplicity is the ability to recover, to bounce back from difficulties, from challenges, and to do that quickly. So that can obviously be at an emotional level, that can be at a physical level, that can be at an organizational level. And my work is is largely in relevance. So for me, resilience was the ability to, to during this time, take a knock, be um, disrupted, upheaved, whatever that might have looked like, and 
have the the conditioning, and that means lots of different things, the physical conditioning, the mental conditioning, the emotional conditioning to take the hits and to be able to recover fast and re-relevance ourselves, whatever that might look like in our context. And for me, I've seen, I think if I was to start to score it, I've seen significantly less good bouncing back, good resilience, constructive resilience. And even though I'm an extremely positive human being, I'm disappointed at humanity. I'm like asking the question, did we really learn nothing? As we emerge back into this world of um, kind of how we knew it before, we're much more mobile, we're out there, it's, you know, lockdowns have, have been removed almost completely, countries are taking masks away, we're back in the workplace, we're doing all the things we did before. And I'm looking around and, I, and I'm looking for, so how have we grown as human beings? How have we grown as society? How have we become more intentional around our um, the way we engage? And and I think in many cases we're, we're, we're uglier than we were before because that resilience mechanism that's kicked in has gone into, in many cases, personal survival mode, organizational survival mode, but forgetting about the broader context. And we've now held on to a lot of what we did during the survival mode, which was where we were accessing whatever our resilience muscles were, but very unconsciously. So my challenge to the world is, you know, have we really, really come out of all of this um, with so little progress? And that's kind of um, the provocation I'm putting out there at the moment. And yes, there are cases of where people have done amazing things, but I don't think it's on the whole. And again, like I said, I'm not a negative human being. I'm looking for the magic. I'm looking for the positive. But working with one organization after the other, one human being after the other, one leader after the other, I'm not finding it easily. So interesting, and it, you know, both Debbie and 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 Brad, in in strong contrast to to Marissa, which was a a very different perspective. And I'm I'm wondering, Marissa, just to go back, you said there's some other interesting things that you you have noticed, which I'd like to touch on now. But I'd also like to look at, you know, is there a difference between these two groups, Marissa, particularly being invited onto the session to bring in a really holistic view. Um, and and a, a more well-being centered view of of an individual, uh, particularly in the work that you do. And then you know, obviously, Brad and Debbie, both of you working with the individual. But I want to use the term hard stuff, which is incorrect. But in harder context, you know, particularly in you know hard driven organisations, is there a difference that we can start picking up on that, Marissa? What are you seeing, or you know, typically the type of people that you are working with? What is giving them? you know, a bigger reserve of resilience, not reserve of resilience, but I suppose resulting in them not being so disenfranchised from their from their resilience, as you were saying. I think it is a very individual thing. And I'm not trying to say that people are not affected. I think we are gravely affected by the many losses and the many changes, the many trauma that we have experienced. However, I have seen the opportunity for people who who are in crisis and they do ask for help to then step forward and actually go on a journey of discovering who they really are and seeing their own unbalancedness between body, mind, emotion and spirit and then equipping themselves with discipline to understand that there is a source of resilience no matter what happens to us 
everything we need is already within us that can make us cope. And I may not be able to cope with what you are facing or Debbie or Brad is facing, but on my path, everything I need is inside of me. And that is something we have to trust. I think we lose that trust. I think we we forget we have choices. We become so stuck in a choice of perception of reality or a belief of what is happening in reality that we don't move out of that limited experience. By questioning ourselves and by being questioned um, what else is possible, how else could we grow from this, um, what is there within you that you can tap, by asking those questions we are forcing the boundaries of our limitations to find that resilience. And I think nature mirrors that to us. For me, nature has always been the greatest teacher, but nature mirrors to us that even if we think nothing ever is going to grow when plants are snowed under, yet out of this ice emerges this little green branch, or you notice a tree growing out of tar, or nature mirrors that to us. So I think a collective... A uh, collective view can also influence us. And I think we have been bombarded with external visions of, of, of how tough it is. And I think we can almost give our power away to that and not actually just stop and saying, no, I'm an individual within this whole. Where is my where is my lesson? Where is my growth that can come from this? So I see that when we are stuck and when we believe we don't have a choice, when we resist the change and we go into denial and our stubbornness and our pride and our defensiveness, that's when we are struggling and that's when we don't have access to that source of resilience. And and for me, you know, that's my task is to remind the people that I get to work with that there is a source of resilience within you. What has caused you not to tap into it and and to explore that and discover that? And in that, I can see that growth coming from there. But yes, those who are stuck and who refuse, it's very hard. It's very hard to support them and it's very hard for them to to find that resource inside them. And I suppose in, in a way that would also result in, Brad, you were saying, you know, we've emerged almost uglier from this i think for for many yes. people that are perhaps not open to this that is what we're seeing is that you know the world is hard at the moment everything is hard the pressure is extreme so we're not coping well under those circumstances and it's mm-hmm. what's really fascinating and, and debbie i'd like your view on this in uh, on this next question have organizations and 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 people within there become a lot more receptive to to exploring concepts like self-awareness or getting to know themselves a little bit bit better or being open to to this kind of exploration or discussions? My answer is a, a tentative yes. There is more of a interest and an exploration into what can help. I, you know, me personally, I think I spend a lot of time in conversations with um, executives about their business, about their culture, about you know where they want to take and their frustrations with current productivity, energy levels, absenteeism, disengagement, and they kind of want to fix that because they want to, you know, re- respond to their stakeholders that want to make more profit. So back to Brad's point, 
we haven't shifted that much in terms of getting a whole person, whole organization sustainability mindset into many organizations, although I think that is shifting marginally. But I am uh, getting a lot more requests to say, well, what can we do? And when I'm given the space or when organizations move into the space of let's have these conversations and let's talk about it, and they give enough time to do that. I got I ended up on the Rovas Rail last week for 24 hours with a business executive team, and we got delayed for six hours along the way, you know, being South Africa and our, our train system. But that gave us an enormous opportunity to spend the time in conversation around these very topics, around empathy, around uh, work-life balance, around energy, around productivity. And mm. it was so um, insightful and so meaningful and sort of really switching the lights on to, to a lot of them that they've now decided they want to bring this a deeper, longer, more emotional engagement experience to their full organization. So I think there's a lot of exposure and opportunity needed for people to shift their mindset. So, you know, we can't change how what we believe unless we have a different experience, because the different experience gives us a different emotional reaction, which gives us a different vision for ourselves. And only when our brains see a different vision for ourselves or what's possible, can we start mm -hmm. making choices towards that new vision and start building the beliefs and the identities that that is something that I need to be part of. So I'm hoping through these pilot groups and these big groups that people can start seeing that the way that we're going to be able to shift individuals, cultures, leaders, organizations is working from the inside out and teaching people that, you know, how the brain works and how our, our biochemistry works and that we're either in a state of survival or we're in a state of creation. You know, if we've got 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day and 90% of those are the same every single day and in the normal context, 70% of those are stress-related. Now what I'm finding in, in these times, it's gone up to sort of 80 85%. Then we are pulling all our resources um, to fight and to manage and to deal with the threat of the external world. We're not actually allowing the resources for growth and repair and visioning and collaboration and solving problems and empathy. So if we can teach people to shift their baseline of threat and baseline of fear and move more into what Marissa, Marissa's talking about is that beautiful resource inside and the ability to trust myself and trust a, a bigger context, then we can start shifting that baseline slowly but surely over time so that we are less subconsciously in a state of survival and more choosing consciously through our thoughts, through the experiences, through our actions, through our feelings to be in that state of creation and in the right brain state to be able to envision and believe in, in a better future. Absolutely. But I think we've still got a fair way to go within organisations. Uh, Brad, just from your perspective, you work a lot in that employee experience space. And I think it, it, a lot of the talk or the cultural shift that needs to happen is around shifting towards people and purpose. But we seem to not be managing that tension very well between you know, people in purpose and still making a profit. What are you finding in organizations? Because profit is still king and, and will remain so because unless an organization is profitable, you know, how will it how will it support the rest? So how do we manage that that tension? I think the the profit is king conversation is a really important one because that is where your relevance lies. Your ability to be profitable and organization's ability 
to be profitable means it can open its doors the following year and can continue to pay salaries and pay for all of the things that have people in that business. Um, the thing is that it's organizations who prioritize profits um, through whatever means possible at whatever price that are the ones that are, are, are the I mean, I bl bluntly talk about how problematic they are at a human level. It's the organizations that understand profit through people, that ultimately your people are the mechanism through which the organization is going to profit. People's ability to innovate. I mean, relevance and innovation are, are close bedfellows. These days, we have to be awake. We have to be switched on. We have to be tuned in and adjusting to suit in order to remain relevant. And human beings inside an organization that are not having a great and awesome work experience uh, are not inclined to bring their best discretionary efforts. They're not inclined to innovate, to share ideas. If they don't have the psychological safety that, yes, I have a voice and I can speak and I'll be heard and embraced for having that voice, what they do is they just show up to deliver the, the minimum viable deliverable every day. They show up, whatever showing up means, um, whether it's from a, a remote environment or it's hybrid or it's in the office, to deliver just enough to get the job done, just enough to not get into trouble and just enough to get paid. And the thing is that you can't win as an organization if that's what your people are delivering. And I've been asked during these past two and a bit years um, while we've been through this, this, this upheaval, I've been asked a lot, so what's the new leadership style? How do we lead our businesses? You know, this is what you guys write about, it's what you teach, it's what you consult on. How do we lead? What's the new style? And, I, and I've repeated over and over again the exact same thing, much to people's horror. And I've said it's no different from what it was before. The leadership principle hasn't changed. Your job as a leader was still to create crystal clarity for people of what's expected of them, to reward and acknowledge them, to make it safe for them to show up, to point them in the right direction, and to let them be brilliant. That didn't change. The only thing that changed was the logistic. But if leaders were doing that badly before, it got extremely difficult when you couldn't be walking around the office space just seeing people with their bums in their chairs. And and we wrote, I mean, I wrote my first book was published about a year before, literally exactly a year before COVID struck. And, and it's called We're Still Human and Work Shouldn't Suck. And on the front cover, it says how to build relevant businesses and exceptional work experiences for human beings in a world that has gone digital crazy. It was the book for COVID a year before COVID came along. And COVID created that we went digital crazy. But did we become obsessed with creating businesses that were amazing places for human beings to be? And that I didn't see happen. And that's where I think the shortfall is. You know, I think I, I, I love what, what Marissa specifically said about uh, possibility and, um, you know, possibilities exist because of all of this. And we have choice. And Debbie spoke to choice as well. But what I'm seeing, and again, it's the hard-hitting truth, just because possibility is right in front of us, just because choices exist, doesn't mean we go there. And that's where the challenge lies for all of us, is we, we've got to be finding ways and assisting organizations, leaders, employees, human beings to have a, a different lens, a different intentionality around their own resilience. Yes, I do have muscle. Yes, I do have capability. Yes, I do have heart. How do I move myself to that space of making different choices uh, inside the possibility? And that is very, very difficult when you're in survival mode, which is the state that we've all been in for two years. 
it's I saw I watched a, a thing on TV the other day and the guy said something brilliant. He said, it's impossible to dream while I'm just trying to survive. And that that struck me hard. Absolutely. And I was just going to ask, you know, and Debbie, bringing in the neuroscience here, we're essentially all carrying on as though, you know, life is, is normal or at least trying to get back to normal. But we haven't actually even begun processing the trauma we've been through or the survival period that we've been in. I'm not even sure we've exited survival because, you know, we've just gone through pandemic. There is no real new normal yet. We're trying to now get to grips with, you know, hybrid world of work. We don't want to go back, but we don't know how to go forward. We're essentially, we are not out of a survival mode yet. How is that impacting on, on the behaviours that we're seeing? Well, Karen, if I could just uh, come into sort of a, a tiny slice of, of, of some of the neuroscience of that is that, you know, when we're in survival response, we move into the limbic system of our brain and into what we call the fight, flight and freeze response. And we've got all these cortisol and adrenaline chemicals floating through our bodies, which fundamentally impacts our ability to perceive the world accurately. And we start noticing the negative and we start noticing how tired we are and we start um, struggling with uh, moving out of our silos and helping others and collaborating and innovating because the part of our brain, the limbic system that we're in, um, and, and falling into some of our old natural survival programs, we are not able to learn and change because all our resources are just into sort of protection and, and trying to find a, a sense of safety in this threatening world, even if it is largely subconscious. So in order for us to come back into a space where we can envision, um, where we can dream, where we can reach out and collaborate, because collaboration takes a lot of giving before you receive it's that mutual interdependence but you've got to be, have that spirit of abundance in order to reach out and collaborate with no necessarily clear common win until you've reached a, a longer time to get there and you know we, we need to all be empowered to learn how to shift our thinking and our emotions and our, our talk about that sort of stress baseline and that ability to feel more comfortable with threat and fear and find our own safety within to be able to then step into and pull ourselves into a different part of our brain, so a different neurochemistry, and so that we can make different choices and be aware of different perspectives, different options, different creative solutions to the dilemmas and the problems that we face. And for me, what was one of the biggest insights in, in um, all of this learning that I go through is that, you know, we actually become chemically addicted to the emotions of stress and to the chemicals of stress. So over a long period of time, like over the last two and a bit years, as we get that adrenaline rush every time we have a stress response, and that stress response can be from external and actually something happening in our world, but every time we have a thought about what's happening in our world or what could go wrong or worst case scenario, we generate the exactly the same chemical response. And that chemical response gives us a rush of adrenaline. We feel alive in that moment in our bodies and we start recreating that sense of stress in order to be get more of those emotions and more chemicals. So in a way, we create our own vicious cycle until we can become aware enough and be able to step back, use what you call that metacognition to be able to watch ourselves and notice where's our thoughts, where are our feelings, where are our bodies, what do we need, who's around us that also might have needs and where are they you know, thinking and feeling and being. And then how do we choose the most appropriate response in that moment? And I think for leaders, if we cannot step out of survival mode, 
we're not going to be able to tap into ourselves and to others to choose the most appropriate response. Mm-hmm. And we, all we're doing is we're working on automatic programs of how it always used to be. And so, as Brad says, if we were a bad leader or not very functional leader before, we're going to continue with that unless we make a very clear, conscious choice to shift how we respond to change and the choices we make on a daily basis. Absolutely. And I think that brings in, sorry, it just brings in my, my next point. But before I go to that, did anybody want to? Want to step in there? I think, thank you, Debbie and Brad. I think it's such an important discussion. Um, and I think Brad is absolutely right. You know, that that survival mentality has no conscience. So it just becomes so fear-driven, greed-driven, survival-driven that we lose our compassion. And I think that is why we, we notice so much ugliness, cruelty, um, in behavior of humans at times, because we are constantly in that survival mode. And I don't care if I have to step on someone's head and drown them, but I need to pass this river. So it's that kind of consciousness. And then we lose our compassion and we lose our responsibility with that, and I, so it's a constant education. I think that is needed to remind people of of who they are and what other resources are available, and the potentials and and other possibilities of of changing perceptions and beliefs. It's really a big task of education. Absolutely, and you know it goes hand in hand with us being in that in that survival mode because survival mode is really characterized by this incredible awareness of of scarcity debbie and that's you know as you were saying as well marissa we we almost need that abundance mindset but in order to get to to embracing that we need a Mm. very high level of of safety of psychological safety in the environment and from my perspective the more i'm reading around um you know the topic of toxic positivity which is really involving that dismissal of negative emotions and band-aid statements like you know look on the bright side or you should be grateful etc we're kind of we you know when people are trying to express negative emotions or have those conversations we are band-aiding them we are presenting toxic positivity we're doing it within our own self-talk as well and it seems to be a very dysfunctional way for us to be coping with the uncomfortableness of of our own negative emotions and those of others. So, firstly, Marissa, and you know, at a very individual level, why are we so uncomfortable dealing with negative emotions? Ah, it's it is a deep question, um, and I think there's several things. I think, first of all, if we if we we force positivity. We are actually doing that because we are very negative. It's it's a duality issue. It's not resolving it. We don't find a, a central neutral place to see the truth of the matter. We are just choosing to be on one side of the scale. So actually we are in denial. <clears throat> and our denial can <clears throat> excuse me, can separate us from our responsibility, it puts us into procrastination, it puts us into delaying, it puts us into blaming. And that's part of our problem, I think, why we can't tap our resilience is because we move into a state of denial and we are trying to operate in a limited way. So 
<clears throat> our choice is very hard that we get stuck and we don't want to see it because we feel we don't have the energy. But our, it's a fight we have within ourselves, between our intellect and our own heart and our own pain and our emotions and our spirit. So for me, it, it, it is people are resistant to ne negativity because they are so surrounded and bombarded with negativity, but they're not positive either. It's a, it's a fooling of themselves because that's not really being positive. That's not really being alive. So um, it's a matter of we have to create a space where it's okay for us to actually unpack those full dustbins that we are walking with because we are because there's so much happening, we are just stockpiling the emotions in us and we think we can suppress them by not thinking about them. But the finest little crack, they pop out and they actually mess up our reality. So it, it's a denial thing. It's not taking responsibility. Um, the opportunity is there for us to, to go within and understand and find that balance within ourselves and to find the resource within our essence. Each one of us has an essence, but we so easily take, allow our emotions and thoughts to take up all the space that we never have access to essence. And then we have to start becoming dysfunctional and in a dysfunctional system, we learn to steal each other's energy. And so it's a constant battle of then I'm the perpetrator and you the rescue and she's the re she's the victim and and we keep on shifting those roles but we don't move out because we are addicted to the power that is in that stress and in that dysfunction. So education again and and we have to lead by example. We have to wherever we go we have to just plant these seeds. We have to we have to change and life wants us to see this and life is bombarding us. So there's a lot of confrontation that is having to happen. We need to learn to confront our own belief systems, our own way of thinking, our own limiting thoughts. So it is a lot of hard inner work that has to take place. And not many people want to do that because it's so easy to be dysfunctional. It's hard work to be a conscious living being. It's rewarding too, but it's hard work. You have to make an un, an effort. So it's the unlearning that is very hard, letting go of the past ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. Debbie and Brad, how have you seen toxic positivity kind of carrying over into the workplace? Because it it is there, you know, if you if you do tend to bring up something negative, it's either a, a black mark against your name or it's it's not working in a team spirit typically. Uh, Karen, I've found very few conscious leaders out there, unfortunately. I think they are increasing as out of necessity at the moment as people starting some deeper personal discovery work themselves. But I think, you know, if people aren't and leaders aren't comfortable with their own internal pain and uh, emotions and uncomfortable feelings, then it's really hard for them to hold space and recognize it or allow it in somebody else because as they open that door they cannot help but um, mirror those feelings back to themselves and suddenly become uncomfortable with their own and I mean emotions are energy in motion 
And we want to energize and engage and build people's ability to perform and be productive. But if our energy and our emotions are held in what Marissa calls that that, that big baggage that we carry around with us, in the emotions of uh, you know fear or hopelessness or disengagement or not coping, then that is what's going to show up in the workplace. So unless we can create a space and a container for people to notice and to recognize and then give them the tools to be able to shift in a meaningful way and in a sustainable way um, over a period of time, um, out of those more derailing, negative, you know, deeper energy-sucking behavior uh, feelings, moving towards more hope and more acceptance or more a, a sense of possibility and belief in a positive future and a belief in being part of a team and that I can grow and develop and be safe in this environment, then we're going to really struggle with energizing systems and energizing cultures. So the, the journey for me is being able to do your own self-work, learn to start managing your ego and becoming more humble and more authentic and more vulnerable. And when as leaders we show up like that, we give permission for people around us to do the same and suddenly the conversation changes completely. So I would that that's the work I think that we need to do at, at every leader, every person. Let's start looking within and looking at our strengths, looking at our weaknesses, looking at our fears, looking at our pains, looking at our emotions and start making it once again the, the choices to grow and build that growth mindset that says it's okay to fail, it's okay to have a, have a bad day, it's okay to lose it every now and again, um, but then support each other getting back in, in a healthy way to a space of openness and possibility. And Brad, from your perspective? It's, um, you know, toxic positivity is is at its its core the um, the dismissal of of negative emotions and um, and not responding to or, or rather responding to distress with with false reassurances rather than an empathetic approach and what all of this does is it 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 further alienates it creates distrust it heightens anxiety for the people that we're dealing with and it it stems in in feeling uncomfortable with um, with these negative emotions so. We shy away from them. And the thing is, often it's well-intentioned because we don't necessarily want to create more drama or we don't want to amplify the negative. The problem, though, with, with it is it causes alienation and it causes a further, deeper feeling of disconnection. And we were massively disconnected. So I, I very much agree with, um, with what Debbie just shared about doing the inner work. This required more than anything, while we were looking for the transactional solutions for how do we i'm talking really at a business level here while we had to be looking for the transactional relevance uh, i mean our own business you know we we consult on better humaning in a digital world yet all of our clients panicked and pulled the projects away for, for the first few months so everybody was upheaved everybody went through this and the reality of it is while looking for transactional survival we also needed to start doing even more work on how do we show up as human beings? How do we build connection, not how do we further alienate? And I saw some incredible, I did see some incredible leaders who the, the thing they asked for from us was, I need to work out how to build more connection. I need to go on a personal journey of, of understanding what are the things I need to do right now with, with the dynamics we're embracing, uh, or how to embrace these dynamics and these complexities, but connection is the number one most important priority in my world. And this was coming from leaders as well as from people who were working with teams saying, how do I create more connection? So they were understanding that um, the, the impact of toxic positivity 
could be even further detrimental to the disconnect that they had no control over. And um, it was that intentionality again, that stopping to pause and say, what am I really experiencing here? What are the people around me experiencing? Oh, I might easily, because I'm trying to avoid all of this, what feels like drama, I could be amplifying it even more. And so the theme of everything that I'm that I'm saying consistently is, is to stop, to identify, to have a look, and to think about how might I choose to do this differently. And it doesn't have to be big sweeping changes. I think that's where a lot of people get stuck is they think that we need to make these overwhelming changes or we need to grow overwhelmingly small, subtle, nuanced adjustments, um, compounded, done over and over again, taught to other people, invited from our teams. Small, subtle adjustments are probably the, the better thing to be doing at a time like this. And um, it's what are those small, subtle adjustments that can can make that massive, uh, massive difference? Absolutely. So just coming back to our topic, you know, in particularly focusing on on resilience and, and just where we are at. One of the things that has come through for me through this conversation is, you know, it's been it's obviously a very individual experience, but but for those that have been more open, that have had a higher level of self-awareness and had more of those inner resources and I suppose are more uh, connected to self, um, have have fared way better through the pandemic. And for, for others that have, you know, typically driven in a different direction and have really been focused on on perhaps achievements outside of self, if I could put it that way, have probably struggled the most through this pandemic because it's it's required, it's almost been an existential crisis that we've all been through. We've had to really question a lot of things. And again, those that have had the tools and, and knowledge to do so have, have done a lot better or have really embraced this opportunity. Whereas those that, that perhaps have shied away from it before are really feeling that feeling the brunt of of the pace of the changes and the nature of the changes. So, with that in mind, and and where we are just now as a as a collective, um, how do we how do we identify that that my resilience has tapped out? How do we know? Um, and Debbie, I'm hoping you can kind of expand on this on a you know from a, a more neuroscientific point of view. What are we going to notice in kind of those behaviours? Karen, I think you know to make those uh, those those micro changes, as as uh, Brad was saying, we need to build a new neural path as to what are we noticing, because you know we we all take in information through our five senses. We process the world around us based on our experiences up until this point, and based on our hard neural paths that are sitting in our brain at the moment. So you know we need to create new scenarios for people to be able to practice building a new thought process and building a new emotional response and building a new habit and once we can build those micro habits every single day so when for example you get this difficult email that comes at you instead of going into your response and the heart rate goes up and all your adrenaline floods your system you take a deep breath you go for a walk you come back um, you process it from a different brain state and therefore you can have a different response and be open to different options. Um, and, and tiny little micro processes and micro routines like that is what's going to shift over a period of time, the neural path network and map in your brain as to how do I perceive information um, and, and how do I show up as a particular identity 
in this new world and are showing up as someone who is open to change, is embracing new opportunities, is seeing a restructuring as an adventure, is seeing um, a new leader coming in that's got a different style as as something I can be curious about. Um, and, and that's what we need to be able to help people understand and manage is how they shift their neural paths, how they shift what they're paying attention to, how they shift um, creating space in their responsiveness through walking away, deep breathing, heart-centered breathing, meditation. And, you know, the work that I've been doing, teaching corporate leaders now these skills to move into alpha brainwave states, to pause and, and check in, not just to brain, but into, uh, you know, what's going on in their bodies and in their heart center and teaching them actually meditation practices to be able to train their brains to a different baseline, to a different ability to respond with different neural paths, creating a future vision for themselves in this new world, we're starting to see some very interesting results coming through. So for me, the work that we need to be able to help leaders and organizations move towards is, is learn about this latest neuroscience of change and learn about how we can use practices in the path that might have been seen as soft or, or woo-woo or not belonging in the corporate. I think we need to teach people the latest science of how the brain and the body and the biochemistry works um, and then help them with the tools, the habits, the routines every day to practice that and shift their baselines. Absolutely. Thanks, Debbie. Brad, I'm going to just turn my attention to you and, and just, you know, from a from a team perspective, what are kind of, you know, how do you recognize when your teammates are are perhaps not coping so well? And, you know, again, how do you how do you build that at a team level? I think there's some very obvious um, behaviors, Karen, things that we start to see um, playing out more frequently. Just the the obvious starting point is irritability and and, and anger. Uh, shortness, quickness of response. And that is a, a product of just having lost the ability to stop or that the, we're exhausted. And I think exhaustion through, through this process we've been through creates that we um, we don't have that processing ability to just stop and consider what we're about to do. So angry responses, irritability, and then also in the in the creative space, in the innovation space, in the ideation space, uh, in the collaboration space, a lot of indecision, uh, difficulty to concentrate for extended periods of time and to really go deep on, on hard thinking, um, memory, even forgetting things because we are so, so, so tapped out. Uh, at times, confusion and misunderstanding. And then also a lack of confidence, a, a drop in team and individual self-esteem. Uh, doubt creeping in through through uh, lack of clarity, insecurity, uncertainty, and and all of these are, are key indicators of a um, of a, a significant drop in resilience in a team and individuals being tapped out. And there's things we need to really be watching out for. And then putting be, uh, uh, mechanisms, rituals, habits, intentionality back in place to start to fill those tanks again, to start to recharge and replenish. And it's really important to understand that there's a big difference between being tired and being depleted. Tired, you need a rest, get some sleep. Depleted, an empty tank is a very different thing. It requires a much more robust approach to refilling that tank than just let's get a good night's sleep. Absolutely. Fantastic. And then just bringing us to a close, and I think, you know, throughout our discussion, as much as organizations have a role to play and definitely 
you know, leaders need to to shift and embrace more of this, and and organisations from a cultural perspective also need to do a bit of an overhaul there. Essentially, the thread throughout this discussion has been it really starts with the individual. So, Marissa, just ending ending with you, how does a person? How do we know when we are depleted, as Brad was saying? And then, at a very individual level, where do we start? How do we start rebuilding this? I think that we notice. We notice when people become stuck, that they forget they have choices. They forget they have simple choices. Um, they become stuck and they become helpless. They become powerless. They become victims. Um, those are signs that they are not, that they have resigned to a limited belief, a limited thinking, a limited behavior. Um, and, and those resignation symptoms are tough and it takes hard work to get someone to, to step out of that and actually face and feel and take responsibility. In the line of work that I do, where I work with many people who are experiencing loss, loss of self, but losses and grief, resignation is part of the process of loss when we get stuck. Life kicks us out because life doesn't support re dysfunction, actually. It actually wants us to evolve and to grow. And so life will continuously give you challenges because you are more than this stuckness that you are choosing. So we have to look at those challenges and we have to take a journey within ourselves. We have to see ourselves that we are body, mind, emotion and spirit. I, I unfortunately, I think corporate and religion has a lot to do with the dysfunction because we've almost made people believe you have to work to feel fulfilled. You have to buy this cell phone. You have to have this kind of thing. No, you have to do this. We are bombarded. We are, they've captured our focus. And the fact that we think you can only connect to spirit if you go to church or if you belong to a certain religion has taken our power away. It is within us. It is, it is our innate essence of who we are. And it can supply us with everything we need if we just recognize that there is an essence, there is a source within us. It is, it is unlimited and unconditional but it respects our free will. So we have to actually ask, what am I doing? What is happening? And then we have to put tools in place so people can understand themselves. No, all right, I've become dysfunctional. How do I get that balance back? Is we have to teach them how to create a care plan, a holistic care plan, so that I learn to connect to my body, my mind, my emotions, and my spirit. And I can bring that balance back and change my reality. We have learned that our reality is, is, is dependent on what is happening outside, but it's not true. We create our reality from within us, from our mind, from our emotions, from our source. So um, we, we really do see how people have disconnected from resilience. I don't think we tap out. That's not my perception. Because that is always within us, but it's we it's our disconnection from it that causes this pain. Fantastic. Thank you, Marissa. And just before we close out, guys, any parting thoughts um, 
just on today's discussion. Brad, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think from my side, while I definitely am, am hard-hitting in my my criticism of what I'm seeing out there, I also want to definitely celebrate some of the incredible behavior that I have seen from leaders, from people in organizations. And the um, the the nudge or the invitation that I have for everybody, anyone who listens to this, is to just stop and think about, have we really, really not learned anything? What have we learned? What have I learned? And how might I use that moving forward? Because until we just stop, pause and reflect, nothing will change. Grab a coffee, sit in the garden, think about, did I not really learn anything? Do I not want to change anything with positive intentionality? Fantastic. Thank you, Brad. Debbie, from your side. Yeah, I think my my, my parting comments is, is and I, I love uh, what both Brad and uh, about creating that space and that time out and what Marissa talks about in terms of, you know, tapping into source. And we've got so much access to, to energy and to guidance and to information. And if, if we really learn how to move out of that stress response into that creative space, and we move into sort of a different brain state, an alpha brain state. We learn to move into a different heart coherent state using the heart, heart math techniques. When we are there and when we are coherent, we can start listening to ourselves and our beautiful inner guidance system and our bodies and our spirit. And we can start moving from fear-based reality into a trust-based reality, trusting ourselves, trusting our spirits, trusting a bigger picture, um, trusting each other and trusting that we are in the spaces we need to be for our highest learning, our highest contribution. Um, and we need to be able to create the space in our lives to do that through the neuroscience and the brain science, but also just very practically going for the walk in the garden, having that long bath, sitting and just being <laughs> and watching a flower grow rather than being on the charge and on our devices all the time. So I wish everybody out there to find the space and, and make that a priority to do that. And so that we do tap in to our inner guidance and our inner spirit. Fantastic. Thank you, Debbie. And ending with you today, Marissa. Yeah, I agree. I think that we have become addicted and so dependent on a dysfunctional survival power. And I think the challenge is, is to discover and reconnect to true, pure power, which we find in nature, which we find in the air that we breathe and consciously breathe, which we find in music, which we find in gratitude and and compassion, et cetera, et cetera. So I think we need to we need to introduce those things that bring us unconditional and unlimited power. And we need to fill ourselves up with that power so that we do not have to behave in the survival modes that we are so forced to engage in and it is really changing a mindset it's changing it's making that paradigm shift it's about it's about standing up and saying no to corporate saying no to this this demands um, and to saying it comes from within us so i really wish everyone a a a wonderful journey of self-discovery and reconnecting to a source um, which is which is so powerful and that will bring so much resource. Thank you for 
giving us this beautiful discussion, Karen. Fantastic. Thank you. I really enjoyed that. I loved hearing about all of your perspectives, and I think this is a, a great topic for us to continue. So thank you, everyone, for your participation today. Thank you. Thanks thank for the you. opportunity. Thank you. Thank you, Debbie. Thanks. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, everybody.